Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I just want to just take t just a minute. To, Rich did a great job with the announcements, didn't he? Give him a hand. He did a great job. <laughs> but I want to clarify that family that uh, family communion because it seems like after every service, there's been a question. You and your family will come, and Alicia will meet you at the door and ask families. You'll come in, sit around the table. And we'll do communion together. If your family's a single person, we'll do that as well. Whoever's with you and your family, we want to share communion with you. Also, the Christmas Eve service is going to be rebroadcast. If you can't make it or you want to invite friends, it's going to be rebroadcast on Christmas morning at 10 o'clock and on Saturday night at 6.02. So uh, if you've got friends that can't make it or you can't make it, you can tune in to one of those times. Okay? All right. Okay. When I say okay, you say okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to start, uh, no, I don't know what I'm going to start doing, but we're continuing our Christmas playlist series today, and the first song on our play, playlist was, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Get over it. It's 70 degrees on Christmas Day, and uh, oh, come on, we need a little snow around this place, and, and uh uh, we learned how to handle disappointment. If you're a Cowboy fan, I'm sure that you have needed that message. Yeah, yeah, baby. But y'all were, I figured the ugliest sweater today would be a Cowboy shirt. But anyway, uh, there's not here, but there's ugly hat away. Anyway, we learned how to handle disappointment. Then Gay taught us uh, how to have joy no matter what's happening in life. And joy to the world was our Christmas song off our playlist. This week, song is from our, from our playlist is another all-time favorite. Christmas Eve will 
like being home for Christmas this morning, right? Those homemade Christmas cookies. Gay and I made those last week. She baked them and I put the icing on them. We sold them to Walmart and then we went over and bought them back. <laughs> anyway, it's no place like home for Christmas, right? Or is it? Yeah, let's face it, uh, every Christmas it's the same old thing when we go home. The joy and anticipation of Christmas goes right out the window the minute you arrive at home for the Christmas dinner. I mean, Aunt Bertha tells you you're looking fat, and your father's still telling those same old dumb jokes or sarcastic jokes. Someone questions you about when you're going to uh, settle down, uh, when you're going to get your hair cut. Uh, uh, you know, when you get a real job or when you go grow up, the first question my brother usually asks me is, uh, you, how's the preacher business going, buddy? <laughs> I don't know what he means by that, but <laughs> anyway, it doesn't take long, though, before your blood is boiling when you go home for Christmas and, and you start thinking about, wow, it would have been nice just to spend Christmas at home with a bucket of Popeye's chicken and a box of Little Debbie's Christmas tree wax cakes watching Christmas Story over and over than it would be to go home. But even with all the mess that goes along with going home for Christmas, uh, it, it, it's just we all long to go there. We all long to be home for Christmas. After all, Christmas is about family time. But what if your family is crazy? has at least one crazy person in it, right? How many of you say, yep, we got a crazy person in our family? Raise them up high. Yep, that's what I thought. Most everybody here. And you might be saying, well, we don't have a crazy person in our family. If you say that, it just might be you. <laughs> that's the crazy one. But anyway, you know, we all, have, uh, we all have crazy people. Anybody like to tell a story, not about the person particularly, about what that crazy person does at your family? Every Christmas. Anybody got a story? We've not had one yet. You all have crazy people. Yeah. One story about a crazy family member. Hey, y'all something. Well, I can tell one, but it's on Jody and Jason. Oh, I thought you were going to tell about me. Yeah, we have, no, we have one that always gets a bag of gifts that's always really eclectic and interesting. Aren't those great words? And it's filled with things like when uh, Christian was like 12 years old, he got like these Thomas the Train uh, size two shoes. It's kind of like that. And there was some antacids in there and that kind of thing. So one year, you know, uh, Jody and Jason's last name is Mueller. So uh, his dad always kind of got them a box of that elbow macaroni. Mueller's. Mueller's elbow macaroni. <laughs> so when they opened it, um, our person person said, I didn't know your name was pasta. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> and if you're watching, we love you. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what makes going home for Christmas good. But anyway, if we're honest though, really, you know, more, maybe a little more seriously, a completely, completely functional family is a myth. So before you head over the river and through the woods to visit uh, Grandma this Christmas, give some thought to what Gay is going to come and share with us now. I'm going to get serious here. Uh, look, so, look at these sweaters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this snowman comes off, this part. 
That one says go, and this one says stop. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, on a more serious note, we want to help those of you that are going to be... Y'all need to settle be... down. Y'all so wired up. <laughs> I think you might have gotten them there. I know, it's too many cookies. To help us, those of us that will be going home for Christmas, and you know that when you walk in that door, it's going to be kind of tough because there are going to be things that you have to deal with, and maybe you've dealt with these things over and over the years. Some of you maybe have learned to do it, but uh, we're just going to kind of go through what is a dysfunctional family and what are some of the things that we can do to uh, get beyond that. So it's going to be kind of tough, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like this time of year has a way of bringing out the dysfunction and the drama in people. You, you know what I mean? It's like the, the divisions are magnified and the unforgiveness, there's stuff there, you know. And I read somewhere where it said that people fight at this time of year more than any other time of year. It's not the night before Christmas, it's the fight before Christmas. And it's just kind of, it just brings some of those things out. And you'll walk into to the family gathering and there's some big old elephants in that room that nobody really wants to talk about or kick out. Nobody wants to deal with that. So the definition of a dysfunctional family, here it is, and everybody's listening closely because we have to filter it and say, is this me? Is this mine? Uh, the, the definition of a dysfunctional family is this. It's a major breakdown in the basic relationships in that family so that the interaction of that family doesn't really work properly. It's almost like a car that's traveling along, has a couple of flat tires, and nobody wants to fix them, and the car doesn't go forward, and it's, it's just kind of the family isn't functioning the way that it was intended to function. And, and here's some of the, the um, symptoms of a dysfunctional family. First of all, there's some estrangement. Uncle Ed is over here and he won't talk to Aunt Sue because of something that happened there. Or maybe somebody didn't even show up because you know that there's this turmoil that's going on with them. Estrangement is when, when family members avoid other family members. Uh, there's also some anger that goes on. And anger is really interesting. You know, the last two messages that we did were dis discouragement and disappointment. And oftentimes that brings out our sadness. But family relationships have a way of bringing out our anger. And anger gets expressed in a lot of different ways. It can explode. You never know when that one person is just going to go off, or it can get stuffed. I mean, you can just see that person is just welling up inside. And, and those issues are not being dealt with because that anger, you can tell, is just very present. You don't know how it's going to get, how it's going to get expressed. Then there's a lack of trust. And poor communication will always breed a lack of trust. And any relationship only functions best when there can be trust, that means that the communication, you're dealing with issues back and forth with people and you're not hiding those, you're not stuffing those, but you're dealing with them. So if there's a lack of trust, it's because there's been some poor communication. There's deception. One person may be unwilling to speak the truth to other family members. I mean, you're holding this stuff inside of you, but it's kind of deceitful because you won't deal with it. And then there's denial. There's always someone that refuses to face the truth because the truth really hurts sometimes, and uh, which 
which encourages poor communication. And then it's just kind of this cycle that happens. And then there are always those unhealthy secrets. There are things that have happened in the family that nobody will talk about. And when there's an unhealthy secret, it means that somebody's holding something that's protecting the abuser. And if you don't get it out, it will, it will just throw everything off, including your own life, because there are things that have to get dealt with. So that's, you know, there are touches of each one of these in all of our families, in all of us. However, the, the definition of dysfunction uh, comes in when these symptoms have become a way of life. When you walk in and these are how, this is how the family relationships are working. And nobody seems to want to deal with those. Nobody will speak up and, and deal with those. And so everybody is kind of dealing in their own way. And this is nothing new. Dysfunctional families go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We can always blame everything on Adam and Eve, right? But the problem is that once they decided that they didn't want God in their life, they want to squeeze him out. Oh, God, you can be there, but I want to squeeze you out because I want to be God. Once they did that, sin entered the world. It entered the human race. And interestingly, it has come, come down through the generations for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And all of us here today are touched by that. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, Sin came into every family, every person. It's pretty discouraging, isn't it? And we're all affected in one degree or another. And as long as there is sin in this world, and there will be until Jesus comes back, as long as there is sin in this world, the best relationships will have some difficulties, which means that going home for Christmas can be quite a challenge because there's always that one there. There's no such thing. I, I, we can't even use the word normal anymore because what is normal? We really can't compare and say, well, now that's, we might look at the Facebook family and you know the Facebook family I'm talking about, right? Because all you see is happy, happy, happy. And, and so many people say, well, I wish I could have that. Well, you're not seeing behind the scenes because there's lots of stuff going on in everybody's life. It's just determined by how we handle that. So normal is, you can't even use that, but never has, it's never been, it never has been, and it never will be as long as sin is part of our human condition. Sin distorts everything, which means that every marriage, every parent-child relationship, every family, has been touched by it. And there's only one way that it'll go away, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one, as we commit to him and as we give our lives to him, that can come in and begin to clean that sin up. And our part is to follow his design for relationships by making that commitment to be the one to break the cycle. You know, we can roll with it and do the same thing that everybody else does, but somebody along the way has to break the cycle. And the question is, will you be the one, will I be the one that says, you know what, I want to be the one that doesn't do it the way everybody else does. I want to follow God's way, and I want to begin to repair and to restore, or at least be the one that's open to that so that I can live at peace with myself and build self-respect. If we 
don't, dysfunction breeds dysfunction. Those little ones are watching how you deal with Aunt Sally and Uncle Joe. They're watching you. And no matter what you teach them, they will repeat what you do, not what you say. And boy, they listen. I'm telling you, if you ever talk to a child, kind of, uh, it, it, it's amazing what they'll share with you. And, and they're watching. And if we, don't be, if, we, if we don't choose to be the one that will break that cycle and do it another way, a different way than everybody else does it, we will develop the next generation that just continues the family tradition of not loving one another. So I had a sign one time, I had a thing that was hanging in my office that said, let's put the fun back in dysfunctional. If you look at dysfunctional, the word right in the smack in the middle of it is the word fun. Now, it's not going to be fun, but at the same time, it makes it possible to break that cycle. So what can we do if we dread going home for Christmas. Here are a few suggestions. First of all, just do something good. Just do something good. When you do something good for someone that has been hurtful to you, it's what the Bible calls pouring hot coals on their head. Now, you'd never want to pour hot coals on their head, but the, the Bible clearly says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you imagine if each one of us decided to commit to what God asked us to? Second of all, maybe you could uh, speak up. Maybe it's time for you to say enough is enough and go to that person and say, could we talk? And you know what? If they don't want to talk, at least you have become a person that's willing to repair and restore and break that cycle. And there's nothing that you can do until that person is willing to engage in that kind of relationship. Maybe you could spend time with the most functional people in your family. I mean, just gravitate to them and then they might squeeze you out because they're thinking you're crazy. <laughs> I don't know. But here's the thing, if you do that, if you gravitate to the most functional people, don't be standing around and talking about the crazies <laughs> like we're doing here this morning, right? <laughs> uh, because that just breeds uh, division and it's not the way that Christ calls us to. But be the one that builds up. Be the one that begins to empower and encourage other people. That's what he calls us to because you know what that breeds? Self-respect. And at the end of the day, when you go home, even though things may have gone awry, you will be at peace within your soul because you know that you've done all that you can do. Or maybe you can choose to grin and bear it. Now, if you choose this one, you've got to do a little preparation. You've got to prepare your heart because you'll be walking into an environment that's not that easy for you. And you'll think, I'm going to deal with this all over again. I know for Buddy, we've been married 40 years. And, and going to his home and for him going to my home, it takes some adjustment. 
And it took, I knew when I walked in the door that there would be this thing that I was going to have to deal with. And it took me about 10 years to figure out <laughs> uh, what was going on. And then it took me another 10 years to figure out how to deal with it. And then it took me another 10, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, but there are some things that you're going to walk in and you're going to get your feelings hurt or you might feel rejected. So the prep work that we have to do is to learn how to build a hedge of protection around our heart. In Job, it says, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? What that means is let's build a hedge of protection around our heart and allow it to have some Teflon. You know what I mean by that? You know what Teflon is? It's, it's so things don't stick. Those things, you know, it's, it's all about our expectations. I was talking to someone this morning after the service, and she said, you know, I just set myself up because I have these expectations of what I think other people should do, and when they don't do it, then I'm always hurt and let down. And she said, you know, I'm beginning to understand how to turn that around is that I have to evaluate my own expectations. And I have to begin to not expect that out of them, but to really do the work within my own heart so that when those things are done, it's not going to seep deep within me and hurt me and destroy me again. Because you see what she was doing? She was giving all the power of her life over to that person. And she said, I'm just setting myself up. So what she said is, I'm going to begin to reevaluate re my expectations and to begin to tweak those myself. Well, another thing that you can do is arrive late and leave early. <laughs> it's, it's an option. You know, you say, hey, everybody, we're eating the food and say, well, it's been good to see y'all out of here. <laughs> you can do that or you could choose just don't go. Sometimes it's okay not to go, but it gives us opportunity to evaluate what's going on inside of me. The next one I really love is just simply seek reconciliation. You know, Joseph in the Bible is my hero. Uh, years and I learned about Joseph as a child, that Bible story, and throughout my life, he has been the one that I have gone to many, many times because I loved his determination. I loved his faithfulness to God. No matter what happened in his life, he kept his eye on God. And his family was completely dysfunctional. It was filled with murder, filled with rape, rejection. His father had favorites. I mean, it was really painful for Joseph. His brothers even sold him into slavery when he was a teenager. I don't, probably none of us here have been sold into slavery as a teenager. But Joseph was. Yet he was the only one in the family that determined. And he said, you know what? No matter what happens to me in my life, he was thrown in prison. He was lied on. He was, I mean, the things that happened to him, go ahead and read it in Genesis. Just take some time. It's a long story, but Genesis 43 to 50 tells this story of Joseph. And he came out of this family and he said, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to keep my eyes on God. I'm going to keep my eyes on God. He was thrown in prison. There was a lot of injustice that was done in his life, but he determined that he was going to keep his eyes on God. Maybe sometime after Christmas, you could do your best to ask God if maybe there's someone that you need to reconcile with. Or maybe not. <laughs> it's, it's really our choice. You understand what I'm saying? It's really our choice. 
It's really about how much at peace we want to be within our own heart. Yet, if we're a follower of Christ, if we've, and we've been all drawn here because we're interested in Jesus Christ, the only reason that we would come and do this. If we're a follower of Christ, we made a commitment to allow Jesus to love through us. I'm telling you, it is impossible to love. This world is seeking love and they're looking for love, but it is impossible to love unless we open our lives up and allow Jesus to love through us. You know, we're so quick to pick out everybody else's flaws, aren't we? Because they're so easy to see. My goodness, <laughs> we can give a rundown of other people's flaws really quick. But that's not what Christ calls us to. Jesus, on this, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he told about how much easier it is for us to pick out others, other flaws. And he said it's pretty common, too. It's pretty, that's what people generally want to do is point their finger at somebody else and say what they're doing wrong. And we all did that this morning, didn't we? We all said, yeah, there's a crazy person in my family. <laughs> but we were thinking of someone else, weren't we? Because we know what their flaws are. But Jesus said, I've called you to something completely different. He said, I want you to love your enemies. Jesus, that's impossible. Absolutely, it's impossible. We need him to be loving through us. Even in Jesus' words, he says, don't judge or you'll be judged. And you won't only be judged, but you'll be judged by the very measure. The way that you judge other people is the way that you will be judged. Boy, that stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? It begins to make you think and evaluate your own life. So what if before we go home for Christmas, and I love that conversation that I had with a young woman and her husband, their small children this morning. She said, I said, why don't you make going home for Christmas your observatory, your laboratory this year, and begin to evaluate your own expectations, and begin to see how maybe you've been pointing out other people's flaws. And she said, you know what, I'm going to. I said, would you come back and tell me about that? Because this is kind of our experiment. It's kind of awesome. And maybe this Christmas, it's time to put this down. You see this? What do you see? What do you see? Can you see? Yeah, big eyes. Yeah. You can point out my big eyes, can't you? <laughs> maybe this is a cool little tool. I love this. I can't, we just got it. I can't wait to have fun with it at home. We have fun at home, don't we, bud? Time to put that down. <laughs> I know what he's doing behind my back. I've learned. <laughs> it's time to put that magnifying glass down and pick this up. What is it? On both sides. Whoa. It's time, it's time to do what King David did. And King David had all kinds of stuff going on in his life. He was an adulterer. He was, yet he was a man after God's own heart. And God looked at him. But here's what, David, what uh, David did. He said, God, search my heart. Hand me the mirror. Show me what's going on inside of my heart. And I'll begin to deal with those kinds of things. Can you imagine the peace on earth, if each one of us took that seriously and we began to do that, 
put the magnifying glass down, pick up the mirror and say, search my heart, God, show me what's inside of me. See, it's not our job to point out everybody else's stuff. It'll always be there. It probably won't change. It's not our job to clean up all of the messes. That's God's. Our job is to allow him to shine that light on our heart. It'll put a whole new spin on your time when you go home for Christmas. It'll really set you free because you'll realize that the same Jesus that loves you to pieces loves that person to pieces too. You know that? Did you ever think about whether or not God loves that ISIS killer? He does. And I want his love for me, which means that he's called me to extend that love to others. And when we do that, maybe we understand that God wants to use us to love the crazies in our life. Good stuff there. But guess what? Now, when I say guess what, you say what, buddy? <laughs> I got to teach y'all everything, right? Guess what? <laughs> guess what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jesus was no different than you and I. You ever thought about that? He had some crazies on his family tree as well. One of the parts of the Christmas story we don't read much is his genealogy. When you look at his genealogy, it's almost like God made a hall of fame of dysfunctional people and decided that they would be on uh, uh, Jesus' family tree. Uh, nearly all of them had moral failures in their life somewhere along the way. Abraham and Isaac lied. Jacob was a cheater. Uh, <clears throat> Judah was a fornicator. David was an adulterer. Sol um, Solomon was a a polygamist, Menasiah was the evilest king Israel ever had. Tamar was a prostitute. Rehab was a, was a lying harlot. Ruth was born out of incest. Bathsheba was an adulterer. Now that's quite a family tree of dysfunctional people. So the next time you think you've got the worst dysfunctional people in your family tree, just open Matthew chapter 1. But you know really, next Friday is Christmas Day and many of us will be going home to spend time with our families. I know that uh, Gay says we'll be leaving here about uh, 9 o'clock or so. We'll drive over to Kieseltown, and we'll get there, and we'll have lunch with my family. And, and I got to tell you, uh, we have our share of crazies, and I'm one of them. But, uh, you know, some of you will be going home for Christmas, and you don't feel that good about it. And, you know, you're Gay talking about all this stuff about allowing uh, Jesus to love your family through you. And, and uh, you know, you're just, uh, you'd rather not be going home this year. And you'll spend Christmas with fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents and distant relatives. And some of them you just can't wait to see. But you know, that there are others of those that you'd rather never see again in your life. You know, some of them are incestuous, some of them are adulterers, some of them are liars, some might even be murderers, I don't know. Some are filled with anger and bitterness, some are just plain evil. So, buddy, what's your point? Well, my point is Jesus understands what it's like to go home to a dysfunctional family. He understands that. And he loved his family anyway. And he wants to love your family through you. You know, he knows all about dysfunctional situations. But you know, as, as we close today, you might be thinking, I don't know if you're online today, we welcome you here. I don't think we did that. But 
You know, you're thinking, well, buddy, the problem with going home for Christmas is I'm the dysfunctional one. You know, I'm the one that's got the problem. I got a pretty uh, functional family until I get there. You know, and, and if that's so, I want to give you some good news of Christmas. No matter your past, Jesus can save you. You see, any, any murderers here today? I, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want you to. Uh, any prostitutes? Any adulterers here? Any liars? Any cheaters? Any angry people? Any thieves? Any hypocrites? Any gossipers? You see, the good news of Christmas is that no matter what you've done in the past, no, 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 matter, uh, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how dysfunctional your family is today, Jesus can save you and he can transform your life. If a prostitute can be saved, you can be saved. If a murderer can be transformed, we can be transformed. If an insectuous person can be saved, then there's hope for you and I. No matter what your, no matter what your past looks like, or what your presence feels like, no matter where you spent last night or what you've ever done, God can give you a new start this Christmas. And he can do it for your crazy family members as well if you allow Jesus to love them through you. Remember, there was a lot of dysfunction in Jesus' tree. And there was a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain found on that tree. So that, so that means he knows exactly what it's like to go home. Jesus came into the world at Christmas time to save sinners like you and I. All of us. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says whoever, whosoever, I love, I love that, whosoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. He didn't come to make us religious. He came to save us. He came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to make us spiritual or pious. He came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to make us good moral people. He came to give us eternal life. So Christmas time reminds us that as strange as this may sound, the worse you are, the better candidate you are for the grace of God. He came at Christmas to do for us what you and I could never, ever do for ourselves. He came to save us from our sins. So before you leave for Grandma's house for Christmas this year, how about coming home to Jesus? You see, in that, my friends, in the end, may be the best Christmas present you'll ever give to the other dysfunctional people in your family. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've been able to be here today in this uh, environment, in your presence, and we've been able to laugh, and we've been able to sing, and God, we've been able to just enjoy one another and have a few Christmas cookies together and to give back to you through our tithe and offering. We've been able to celebrate our Thanksgiving offering, and, and God, we've been able to just be together and have pictures with Santa Claus, and God, now we come to this point in our service where, God, we just want to reflect on you and your goodness in our life. And, Lord, we want to reflect on where we're at in our spiritual lives at Christmas time. 
So Father, I pray during these closing moments that we have together that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now as the band, the worship team sings for us, just reflect on where you're at in this whole um, talk of dysfunctional families.